Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P A T R E O N.com slash BP Show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Democrats pick up one more congressional seat in California. That blue wave keeps growing and growing. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Whoa, it's already a Wednesday. Wednesday, November 14. Here we go, The Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Good to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us as we uh, reach out to you all across this great land of ours from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, whether it's coming here from uh, Washington, a lot stirring up here yesterday in the nation's capital, around the country, around the globe. We got it. We're on top of it. We'll tell you what's going on. And as always, look forward to hearing from you, whether you're joining us online, on the radio, or on television. Hello, 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 and welcome to the program. A great lineup of guests today, Ryan Riley, a senior uh, justice reporter for HuffPost, will be joining us, as well as the good congressman from uh, Michigan, uh, Michigan's 5th District, Congressman Dan Kildee, and then Ed Chung, who is uh, vice president for criminal justice re- reform over at the Great Center for America Progress. And with them and with you and with all of our resources, again, we will whip through the headlines of the day and what it all means to you. You send us your comments, please, on Twitter. Love keeping up with you. Loving having you part of the show. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Get ready to dive right in. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, Bill, yes. it's basketball season officially. It's it's underway. And it's sort of undeniable that probably the best team in the NBA is the Golden State Warriors. So if you want to go see the Golden State Warriors, they just unveiled a new ticket plan that can be very good for you. It's a monthly pass. You pay $100 per month, and you get to go to all of the home games, which is a really great deal. Where do you sit? That's the thing. You don't. 
You're oh. not guaranteed a seat. It's called the in the building pass. It's exactly that. It gets you in the building and nothing else, which means you have no reserve place to watch the game. You can't see the court. You are, however. You can't see the court. No. You, oh, you are allowed to watch the game on a television at the bar or the club area inside the arena. So you get to go and watch it on TV. You get part of the vibe, you know. You I, get, yeah. I get it. I don't hate it. I do think it's a little silly if you want to spend $100 a month to go and not watch the I game. I bet you they'll sell out. I'm sure they will, actually. That's a very good point. They said that they're going to have 200 available uh, you know, if they were standing places, I, I do it. I, I I paid to stand at the opera. You know, you know they, they do this sometimes with playoff baseball yeah, games, yeah, especially. Yeah. They'll just yeah. sell yes, standing room yes. only tickets, right? And, right. And, but baseball's a little bit different. I yeah. mean, it's a little more open, and you can see the field. Whereas with basketball, right. they, you get no guarantee whatsoever that you'll be able to see any of the game at all. So, just interesting. Just smell the French fries. <laughs> exactly. By the way, how Drink about this? Pink Legacy. Did you hear about this? This pink diamond? No. It just sold yesterday. It's a pink diamond weighing in at just under 19 carats. It was bought by Harry Winston for a lot of money. Mm. $2.6 million oh, per carat. God, I was per carat. I was looking for something special for Carol. Well, for if Christmas you have an extra $50 million laying per around. Per carat. Whoa. $50 million is what they ended up paying. In fact, here is Francois Curiel from Christie's, the auction house that uh, sold this thing. $50 million, so $2.6 million per cat, which is a world record price for a pink diamond. There you go. Mm, mon Dieu. $50 million. $50 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're looking for that last-minute Christmas gift, Bill. He sounds like the pink panther. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the pink, Forget the pink diamonds. The pink panther. Is yeah, that's the right. Pink diamond. The pink panther. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, there's somebody swinging the axe at the White House, and it's not Donald Trump. It's Melania, First Lady Melania, swinging the axe, and off goes the head of the Deputy National Security Advisor. Man, stay away from the White House these days. Yeah, it's open warfare down there. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, November 14. So good to see you today. And thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. That's me and uh, all of you. We all make up the show together. And so good to have you with us. we got lots and lots to talk about today. Uh, wildfire still raging in uh, California. Donald Trump finally catching up uh, and saying something good about the firefighters, heroic firefighters out there. Uh, yes, a big battle down at the White House. Uh, not only is Melania swinging the axe and uh, and demanding uh, that certain members of the West Wing, not her staff, the West Wing, uh, be fired, uh, but open warfare even more so between Donald Trump and the media, with CNN uh, filing a lawsuit against Donald Trump and the White House and the Secret Service and the White House doubling down and firing back. The recounts continue in Florida and uh, the uh, and in Georgia, 
leading up to possible, uh, who knows, upsets in Florida and a runoff perhaps uh, in Georgia. And yes, one more congressional seat in California decided in favor of the Democrats. The lead keeps building and building for Democrats in the House. The blue wave keeps building. Hello, everybody. That sort of sums it up today. As we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and all over the country, of course, uh, on, on the, as I mentioned, online. Plus, on the radio, WCPT out in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area. Great to see you all today. Thank you for joining us as you make your way to work or getting ready to make your way to work. And also in Indiana statewide on Indiana Talks. Yes, indeed. We have never seen, we've seen a lot of different, in our lifetime, modern times, a lot of different first ladies, some who are very active, very uh, up, you know, out in front on a lot of big issues. Hillary Clinton was certainly a very um, ubiquitous, if you will, and very active, uh, very um, much a participant in her husband's uh, presidency uh, as, a, as first lady, leading the fight for uh, universal health care, which they called Hillary Clare, killed Hillary Care at the time. Uh, First Lady Laura Bush out there, um, particularly on literacy issues. She started the National Book Festival, which is so big here uh, in Washington, D.C. All of them have their little specialty, and certainly Michelle Obama with her fitness program for for young children. Uh, Well, Melania (laughs) Melania Trump, she may go down in history as, uh, I don't know, the uh, Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her father, for, mother, father, whatever it was, 40 wax. Melania Trump yesterday saying, no, I don't like that national security, that deputy national security advisor lady. Her name is Mira Ricardell. I never heard of her before. But John Bolton brought her in seven months ago as his deputy. And apparently, uh, she, apparently she's a pretty tough lady and she... Uh, uh, ruffled the feathers of John Kelly, uh, ruffled the feathers of James Mattis, the defense uh, secretary. Um, but her uh, fatal flaw was that she went on this trip. She was the one as chief officer, I guess, on the on the first lady's trip to Africa. And uh, there was some, a big uh, little um, kerfuffle, if you will, about seating arrangements on the first lady's plane that Miss um, Ricardell must have been in charge of. Uh, the first lady wasn't happy. A couple of her staffers felt that they'd been slighted. They didn't get good enough seats. And so Melania demanded yesterday uh, that um, uh, Ricardell be fired, and the president fired her. We've never seen uh, um, an act like that on the part of a first lady. The first lady's spokesperson, Stephanie Grisham, put out a word, quote, it is the position of the office of the First Lady that she no longer, Mira Ricardel, that she no longer deserves the honor of serving in this White House. I mean, that is really remarkable. You know, you look at the White House, and it's not just traditionally, but physically, geographically, there are two sides. There's a mansion in the middle, and there's the east wing over here, that's where the first lady and her staff are and their offices where they do all the ceremonial stuff and they do the first lady's job. And then there's the West Wing, 
which is the governing of this country. And that includes, of course, the president and the vice president and their immediate staffs and the national security advisor, most importantly. And so she is reaching from the east wing to the west wing. Since when? Since, in fact, I think there's maybe a constitutional question here. But since when did the first lady have any power in the West Wing? I mean, with all due respect, Mrs. Trump, you were not elected to anything. But, of course, the president was. And uh, if the president, if the first lady says, what if she says, I don't like Mike Pence? What's Trump going to do? Fire him? But in this case, she said, I don't like Mira Ricardel. And Trump said, okay. You're gone, lady. You're out of a job. There it is. So we thought it was uh, Kirsten Nielsen from the uh, Department of Homeland Security who was going to get the axe yesterday because Donald Trump has told his staffers that she's also history. Uh, he's decided he's going to fire her. I guess maybe he would have fired her yesterday, but um, this other person, Melania, said, no, 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 fire her first. Right. So we'll yeah, see what happens today. I think it speaks to who the Trumps are. Yeah. You know, petty, 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 petty. Yeah. You know, they'll use whatever power they have to uh, screw somebody else's life and job up. They don't care. Yeah. And apparently there was no talking to her say, hey, this is a little out of line or whatever. You know, no, no. Right. They just fired her. Just done. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the other word that they used, they said they fired her because she was a bully. That is so rich. Yeah. Be best. Trump would fire anybody because they're a bully. Be best. <laughs> I guess it takes one to know one. Well, um, while the shots are being fired around the White House, they're also being fired in another direction. Uh, as we mentioned, I believe yesterday, because it happened uh, yesterday, is that uh, CNN has now filed a lawsuit, actually. We're talking about, of course, uh, the president not only blasting uh, CNN's reporter Jim Acosta at the news conference last week, but shortly after the news conference, uh, they yanked uh, Jim Acosta, senior White House reporter for CNN, yanked his hard pass. It's a pass like I have that enables you to get in the White House every day without having to every day be checked by the Secret Service and all of that. It's for the reg or me, the regulars who cover the White House briefings. Again, I've got one. Jim Acosta has one. Many people at CNN have them. Uh, but they yanked his hard pass after putting out a doctored video, which they say, and by the way, doctored video, absolutely fact. Uh, they did not put out the news video, the actual video of the hearing. They put out a sped-up doc, which makes it look like Jim Acosta grabbed the arm of this White House intern, which he did not. But anyway, based on that doctored video, they yanked his hard pass. CNN has filed a lawsuit against uh, the White House, against the president, against the White House uh, it's the team, press team, and against the Secret Service for yanking his hard pass and saying that is an infringement of his constitutional rights. What's interesting about that lawsuit, and here's the, and by the way, the White House Correspondents Association yesterday put out a statement right away saying, "We support CNN. We are we support this lawsuit. Uh, this lawsuit, uh, this what the White House did is totally unjustified." But uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, man, now she just doubled down yesterday, putting out a statement. Here it is. We have been advised. It's long. I'll just read a little bit of it. We have been advised that CNN has filed a complaint challenging the suspension of Jim Acosta's hard pass. This is just more grandstanding from CNN, and we will vigorously defend against this 
lawsuit. The White Why? House cannot. Why? Why vigorously defending? I mean, you know, because it's Donald yeah. Trump. The White House cannot run an orderly and fair press conference when a reporter acts this way, which is neither appropriate nor professional. Well, there's a very basic principle here involved, right? Which is the president doesn't get to decide what reporters are assigned to cover him. Period. End of story. He can't call up the New York Times and say, all right, this is the person I want you to send to my news conferences. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. He can't call up NBC and say, you know, I don't like that Peter Alexander, right? Um, can you send somebody else up here, right? Uh, this doesn't work for me, you know, I just, uh, whatever. No, no, it's not the way it works. Uh, by the way, I, I think it's worth pointing out, I love this, that CNN's attorney is none other than Ted Olson, former one of his their attorneys, but he he's a lead attorney on the case. Uh, none other than Ted Olson, former Solicitor General of the United States uh, under uh, President Bush. Uh, Ted Olson, who led the recount effort in Florida in 2000 for George W. Bush against Al Gore. Uh, Ted Olson, by the way, who won as a Republican, who won the same-sex marriage uh, ruling out of the Supreme Court. Uh, and uh, Ted Olson, then now leading Republican, saying that there is no doubt this is, a sl- he believes, a slam dunk for CNN, uh, that the White House has no standing whatsoever uh, in this case. Uh, and he said that they... Uh, told reporters yesterday they tried to resolve the matter privately with the White House, saying we don't want to make a federal case out of this. But the White House just simply refused to even discuss it, to talk about it. They insisted they were right, and they were not going to restore Acosta's hard pass. Uh, And, by the way, that opinion is also shared. We know that Donald Trump watches Fox and Friends every morning. Their legal advisor, Judge Andrew Napolitano, Napolitano said yesterday there is no doubt that the White House is wrong, that CNN is right. And Napolitano said he believes this case will be settled without a jury trial, without a trial, because the judge is going to rule automatically in favor of CNN. He said that their case is that strong. Big mistake on the part of the White House. And again, the basic principle is, you know, um, there is such a thing as freedom of the press. And you hadn't thought of this before, maybe, but one of the uh, freedoms that the press enjoys is they can assign their own people to cut up, to cover whatever beat that they that they want. I mean, it's like what if they called up and said, Peter? They called up and said, "Now, okay, we have we don't have any problem with the Bill Press show, but Bill Press can't do the show." <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, you can still call it the Bill Press show, but somebody else has to host, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what they're saying. We'll decide. We'll decide who. Does the evening news? Who's the anchor of the evening news? Who are the who are the reporters at the White House? We'll decide. You yeah. know, I, there, there this been is a lot what of, Vladimir Putin does. I, I was going to say there have been a lot of comparisons to how the Trump administration is handling the media, and there have been a lot of uh, connections made between state-run media, the way that they handle Fox News, and all of this stuff. But like, this is really what it is: no mm. critical voices whatsoever. 
and to, and like to actually take away those voices is what they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and there's now uh, finally, uh, by the way, uh, Amazon has caught up with the news. <laughs> Amazon itself has announced that. <coughs> pardon me. What we talked about yesterday, what was leaked by the Wall Street Journal, is in fact the case that uh, HQ2 is going to be HQ2 squared, I guess you can say, because there are going to be two second headquarters of Amazon, one of them right across the river here in Crystal City, Virginia. Mm, well, it may not be called Crystal City much longer. Uh, and the other up in Queens, where which is called a little area of Queens called Long Island City, uh, yes, indeed, the uh, Jay Carney, remember him? He was White House press secretary, now vice president for Amazon, says, uh, we wrestled with the wrestled this and just finally decided uh, two's better than one. We deliberated a lot. Uh, you know, it wasn't until recently that we settled on the idea of splitting the headquarters. Splitting the headquarters. And by the way, uh, there's sort of a consolation prize, Nashville. So it's uh, 25,000 jobs here in the D.C. area. Uh, 25,000 jobs in New York, and a satellite headquarters in Nashville with 5,000 jobs, which isn't bad. It's a nice little consolation prize. It's sure. like when you get the Powerball but not the rest of the numbers. Sure. You know, you sure. Can, yeah. You know, pick up a little, a, little, a little spare change. You know, it, it, it really is amazing what these cities did to oh, try and lure Amazon God, to, their, to their cities. I yes. mean, amazing tax breaks. They were saying that yeah. Virginia alone is essentially giving about $48,000 per worker. Yeah. Yes. There is Which a, is kind of nuts. Front page of the Washington Post today. I don't have it with me. It has a, a list of all the goodies that uh, the so Amazon long. was given, uh, including including the goodie of changing the name of Crystal City, which the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, admits yesterday they were willing to give away. The new headquarters will be at National Landing, which includes portions of Pentagon City and Crystal City in Arlington and Potomac Yard in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. So I want to know who's going to change <laughs> all those signs when you're going across the 14th Street Bridge that say Pentagon City, Crystal City. Now they're going to all have to say National Landing, I guess. I mean, thank God they didn't give away the name of the United States Capitol. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, they could right. have named this Amazon. I mean, you know what? Amazonia. They probably would have let them do it. Uh, honestly, why, why Amazonia. not? Yeah, the new capital of the United States is Amazonia. <laughs> because, uh, uh, and uh, by the way, some people are saying Donald Trump hasn't commented on this yet. Some people really think Donald Trump is going to see this as an attack on him because, of course, Jeff Bezos uh, owns the Washington Post. Uh, and he's been on constant, he, Donald Trump, on constant attacks against the Washington Post. So he, uh, uh, some people surmise that he sees this as Jeff Bezos getting even with Donald Trump by putting even more uh, Amazon people there. Who knows? Donald Trump, uh, as long as it, if, if they don't call it Trumpville, uh, Trump will think it's an attack. It's an attack on him. Meanwhile, midterms. Yes, indeed. Lots still going on. Uh, the big change today is one yet one more congressional seat in California, California's 10th, where Jeff Denham, Republican, has been there for four terms. This is up in Stanislaus County. I talked a little bit about this yesterday. It's up the northern part of the San, of the San Joaquin Valley, uh, the one of the most conservative parts of California. It's the Central Valley, parts of Northern California, and used to be Orange County. 
which were the conservative strongholds in California. Uh, but this was one of the this is one of those districts. This district lost to Republicans California's tenth. Josh Harder will be the new congressman from the tenth. Uh, this is uh, the third district in California that has been flipped so far. Steve Knight lost in the twenty fifth district, I believe it is. Yes, and Dana Rohrbacher uh, lost in Orange County in the forty eighth. There are still two more. Seats, Mimi Walter's seat is still undecided, Orange County. The seat formerly held by Ed Royce, Orange County, is also uh, un, un, uh, unresolved so far. But at least a p- flip of three seats in California. Overall, there are seven congressional races nationwide that still have not been decided. And Democrats have already picked up a total of 30 So they're going to get as high, certainly 35, 36, 37, maybe even as high as 40. Uh, In none of these other races are the Republicans uh, ahead, by the way. You know, one of them still undecided is Mia Love in in Utah, which, uh, of course, Donald Trump uh, announced that she was the loser last Wednesday. Mia Love showed him no love. Showed him no love. Well, she didn't want the embrace. That's right. She did Remember? not want the embrace. She didn't want the embrace. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, and of course, the recounts continue. Uh, the new development down there is that uh, Bill Nelson and the Democrats have filed a lawsuit. Now, remember, Rick Scott filed a lawsuit against Broward County saying they should shut the vote down because they were just inventing votes, basically. The judge threw that out and said it's ridiculous. There's zero evidence of that. Uh, now the Democrats have filed suit saying, look, if they can't get it all done by 8 o'clock tomorrow, Thursday, then uh, the deadline should be automatically extended to give them time to... Well, there's a very basic principle that the Democrats are arguing, uh, not just in Florida but nationwide, but particularly now in Florida and Georgia, I might add, a very basic principle. I know it's revolutionary to people like Donald Trump, but two principles. One is you count every vote. Wow, how radical. Two is the person who gets the most votes wins. Now, of course, Donald Trump doesn't believe in that at all because he didn't get the most votes in the last election. But at any rate, those are the principles motivating the Democrats down there. Andrew Gillum, who's been just tremendous, uh, he was as a candidate and he's also now as a contested candidate, in the recount, saying, telling the crowd yesterday, yes, that's what we believe in. Every vote counts. We have to count every vote. And we got to count every vote, not just for this election. We have to count every vote because it matters for the next election. And Donald, uh, he, he, uh, Governor Gillum, uh, Mayor Gillum, someday governor, someday soon, uh, comes out and says, yeah, it's Donald Trump. He wants to shut it all down. The president, with his lost self, decided that he wanted to egg it on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he egging it on. Egging on all the uh, uh, council. Donald Trump with his lost self. I love That's that. That's great. That's a great way of summing him up. Senator Bill Nelson out there saying, yeah, look, you know, it's just a huge conflict for Rick Scott to even be involved in this recount since he's the one being recounted. It's become obvious 
that Mr. Scott cannot oversee the process in a fair and impartial way, and he should remove himself from the recount process. Yep. Uh, Chuck Schumer yesterday here in Washington uh, made the same argument, conflict, conflict, just like Brian Kemp in Georgia, get out. Here with the minority leader. Here we go. Governor Scott needs to recuse himself from any involvement in the recount and do it now. He's a contestant in this election and can't possibly be trusted to be a neutral and fair arbiter as the votes are tallied. And up in Georgia, they are still counting votes there as to whether or not it's going to get close enough to force that uh, force the, the runoff in Georgia. Nan Oreck, who is a state senator uh, in Georgia, saying we've got to keep the count going. After repeatedly putting his heavy thumb on the scale of democracy, Kemp wants us to just trust him. Yep, and we're not going to just trust him. Of course, he's no longer Secretary of State. Uh, the spokesperson for uh, Stacey Abrams, Laura Wargo, uh, said all we want is a fair and honest vote. Our quest for basic fairness continues, and that is we want every single vote to be counted here in Georgia. Yep. And by the way, um, you know, so when you add it up, right, more and more. In fact, there's an interesting headline on the front page of The New York Times today by uh, our good friend Alex Burns, who says, here's the headline, as days pass, Democratic gains grow stronger. And it's true. Every day we've told you about one more congressional seat or one more Senate seat or some more legislative seats that have flipped over into the uh, Democratic column. Uh, John King, nobody knows the political landscape or the political map better than John King at CNN. Uh, And he just said yesterday, look, let's just agree what it is. The Senate map, not as good for Republicans as they thought. The Democrats picking up governorships. Democrats will take back the House. The only question now is the margin. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who say, is this a blue wave? This is a blue wave. Yeah, this is a blue wave. Let's face it. This is Democrats. Say it out loud. Be proud. This is a blue wave. Stop whining. Stop grumbling. Yeah, Beto O'Rourke didn't win in Texas. Rick Scott hasn't won. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, he hasn't either. But Andrew Gillum hasn't won yet in Florida. Neither is Bill Nelson. Neither is Stacey Abrams. But they're still in the bag. Or, I mean, in, in the process. But it is, even without them, it is a blue wave. Uh, one little down, uh, kind of spinoff from the midterms I found very interesting. The Hill um, released a poll yesterday that showed now that 72%, remember, what, what really happened is, that Donald Trump's scare campaign, his racist campaign, his exploit attempts to exploit the caravan. By oh, what was that? The caravan. Mm, remember yeah. that? Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The invasion. Uh, all of that didn't work. Failed. And as a result of that, according to the Hill yesterday, I found this very interesting. Seventy-two percent of Americans say that somebody in the Republican Party should challenge Donald Trump in the primary in 2020. 72% of Americans say Trump deserves to be challenged in the primary. So I think even Repo- obviously if 72% of Americans say that, that's a lot of Republicans who are part of that. I haven't seen the breakdown. Uh, but that means a lot of people are saying, hey, you know what? 
that that message, that ugly stuff, that racist stuff is not selling with the American people. Even Republicans recognizing that and say, we got to look at somebody else. At least give us a choice. You know, I, for I, I think that's I think that's interesting. But I also think that you look at the approval numbers that Donald Trump has within the Republican Party. And I think there is a very select few number of people who could actually challenge him. Oh, I do, too. Like, I can think now, of the, yeah, two. When you John go, Kasich and Jeff Flake. <laughs> That's about it. Or Ben Sass. Maybe. maybe but maybe. again, you no, know, he's... No, no, no. There's no clear front row. There's no clear... That's right. So the second part of that equation is, okay, who? Right. You know? Actually, so Democrats, we have so many wannabe candidates. Maybe we ought to give them a few. <laughs> <laughs> give them a couple on loaner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's unload that Richard Ojeda. Yeah. Yeah. He can run as a Republican. Sure. <laughs> He's from West Virginia. Sure. He can run as a Republican. <laughs> All right. So, man, we're just getting started here. We didn't even tell you yet. What's up with Robert Mueller? Rumors that, uh, that man, he could drop the, uh, drop the hammer any day now. Some people thought it might be yesterday. Ryan Riley joins us. He is senior justice reporter from HuffPost. Coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. As always, quick break and then uh, right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. You got it on a Wednesday, Wednesday, November 14. The Bill Press Show back with you with all the news of the day. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, uh, brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the good men and women of the AFT Teachers of America under President Randy Weingarten. By the way, they are uh, one of the unions out there very strongly supporting uh, Nancy Pelosi to be reelected as Speaker of the House of Representatives, which I think will happen, which I think should happen. Uh, the AFT putting out a big statement in support of uh, Speaker-to-be Pelosi uh, yesterday. Check out their website uh, for that uh, news and others of what they're up to at AFT.org. And here in the studio, uh, welcome from uh, all dressed up, dressed up for the junior prom, welcoming uh, Ryan Riley, senior justice reporter for HuffPost. Hey, Ryan, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Uh, we know why you've got your jacket and tie on today, and we want to find out more about what's coming up at the Justice Department. Uh, but first, as always, I want to check in with our Comments from viewers and listeners over the last half hour? Yes, indeed. Remember, we're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Tom says, this is the very definition of a conundrum. I am against both Melania Trump and Rick Cardell, uh, the, the advisor that she wants fired in the White House. Uh, yeah, I think that's about right. That is right, but there does, it still leaves the question of the role of the First Lady. True. And any power that she would have over the West Wing... Uh, in question. We've never seen that before. Yeah. We talked about the embrace, you know, the embrace of the candidates that didn't accept it from Donald oh, yeah. Trump. Sorry about that, Mia. Yeah, John yeah, says, sorry. Trump knows about the embrace. He was tight with the Gambino crime family. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Uh, and also... They liked his embrace, or he liked their embrace, whatever. On a GOP candidate that could run against Trump, Luna says maybe the GOP could run that dead pimp from Nevada against him. He's apparently a very popular guy. Dennis Hoff. Friend of the show. I know, friend of the show. Who won. I know, who did win, right? (laughs) Maybe he could beat Trump. (laughs) 
Dead Man Running. Dead find Man us, Winning. Find us on Twitter at BP Show. At BP Show. Keep those comments coming. And by the way, that super chat, Peter, you might mention that again. Yeah, we have at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. You can watch the video live. We also have a chat room running all throughout the day, but especially during the live show. And we do have super chats. Super chats where you can donate some money and then you get your chat right to the front of the line. Very visible. Uh, shout out again to Bruce who did that last week. A very sizable donation. You can do any sort of donation, uh, but they're called super chats. There's a button right there in the YouTube chat room. Very easy to do. We appreciate your support okay so ryan got your fancy clothes on day because the office of legal counsel is holding a briefing this morning at the justice department what's that all about yeah so um what we're expecting today is for them to release an opinion sort of justifying the uh, appointment of the acting attorney general matt whitaker um now typically what the office of legal counsel does is judicial office within the executive branch which sort of adjudicates these you know disagreements between various executive branch agencies and offers the president legal advice. In this case, what we're expecting is for them to retroactively issue an opinion saying, yep, all above board this appointment of, of the acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker, because there's been a number of dissenters out there saying that essentially this appointment wasn't wasn't above board. Including George Conway. Including George Conway. The husband of Kellyanne Conway, right? Correct. who said in a very strong piece in the New York Times, mm -hmm. uh, it is unconstitutional. It is illegal. Mm -hmm. Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution of the United States, and that therefore anything that Mr. Whitaker does in this job, anything, mm -hmm. any decision he makes will be invalid. Yeah, it's null and void. I mean, essentially, you have a person who is placed in here, you know, because he was in a, he's this Federal Society guy, and that's how, yeah. how he sort of got in that position as uh, Jeff Sessions' chief of staff at the recommendation of the Same White House. Same way Brett Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh and uh, Judge Gorsuch got yeah. on the Supreme Court. Same group that said that, yeah. So, But once he was in there, you know, he, he's never been Senate-confirmed. It wasn't a Senate-confirmed no. position. So I think that that's where the, you know, the rubber hits the road in terms of the legality of this choice because there's an obvious contender next in line in the sort of chain of command in the presidential order of succession. Which normally um, happens. The deputy attorney general would become the then acting attorney general, correct, Rod Rosenstein. Course, yeah, but of course, um, you know, Donald Trump doesn't have a, he has a better working relationship apparently with Rod Rosenstein, but doesn't, you know, not his favorite guy. That's the guy that appointed the special counsel Mueller in the first place. So, um, yeah, so I mean, just sort of skip that whole line and, you know, skipped all the other Senate confirmed people within the Justice Department who could have filled that position, or even theoretically a Senate confirmed person in another you know, mm -hmm. branch yeah, yeah, right. uh, who could have filled that position and chose this this guy who, you know, I, I, more and more comes out about his, his background every day, and it's hasn't been pretty so far. Who asked the Office of Legal Counsel to issue this opinion? So, you know, we don't know the internal deliberations about that yet, but it would be typical for, typically the process would be for them to sort of say um, or be asked ahead of time, ahead of a decision, and offer advice. Um, there's by been the, this by the White House, by the, or by yeah, by the White House, Jeff Sessions, or by Whitaker himself. The is White House, or I mean, pretty much anyone within the executive branch can request it. There's been this trend in recent years, actually, where the Office of Legal Counsel used to basically issue a ton of these formal legal opinions each year, like. A lot, a lot of dozens upon dozens really? upon yeah. dozens. Um, and now what they've been moving away, they've been moving away from that issuing of a formal opinion, I guess, in the digital age. And also, frankly, in an effort to avoid uh, FOIA requests, they've been more doing like informal opinions or offering, you know, this sort of informal mm -hmm. 
advice to um, executive branch agencies, which maybe is you know in a in an email or something of that nature. It's not the sort of formal opinion that it that it used to be. So now, and that sort of, that trend sort of escalated during the uh, Obama administration, and now during the Trump administration, it's I mean we really don't know what the Office of Legal Counsel has been up to, and they're right. going to be at the center of some of those really key decisions. You know, it's everything from was Jared Kushner allowed to be it, that was one that they put out very early on in the administration. Uh, opinion about Jared Kushner's uh, eligibility for a, a position, you know, if they're if that was okay under a nepotism clause, um, they offer, you know, but then there's all these other key issues that they've obviously given advice on at some point, but we don't really, you know, know what it was. Um, you know, obviously, I think they're involved uh, with the heavily with the um, with the travel ban, but you know, right. Uh, so. Um... <sighs> I guess the question is the longevity of this temporary part, this acting yeah. position, uh, because Adam Schiff, no, it was Jerry Nadler, a Congressman Jerry Nadler said, who will be the new chair of, Senate, of the House Judiciary Committee, said that M- Matt Whitaker will be our first witness. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if he's still there. Right. Um, that, that, of course, hinges on Donald Trump finding somebody else to nominate. Right. And, and getting them confirmed. And getting that person confirmed, right. right. So chances are Whitaker, when I think about it, still would be there because, first of all, do we have any any intelligent or informed guess as to whom Donald Trump is talking to? Uh, Chris Christie had been sort of rumored out there. Yeah, I've heard uh, yeah. that, but... Yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't think that there was Lindsey a plan Graham. certainly set up as... Right, well, Lindsey Graham has been sort of auditioning a bit. I think he's been auditioning for yeah. it. Yeah, he says not, <laughs> yeah. but... Um, which remember when he said that uh, it would there would be hell to pay if um, yes. Jeff Sessions yes. was like, oh, yeah. oh, I remember that. But that was then. I love <laughs> yeah. that somebody asked him about that recently, and he was like, uh, when was that? I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. We got the tape. We got the tape, Lindsay. Yeah. Right. Um, so so the thing with, uh, you know, back to Whitaker, uh, is there any way that he – it's also rumored that he is – I mean, reported, and I actually got confirmation of this yesterday from somebody who works at the Justice Department, that he has been talking to his eth- the ethics people there about whether or not he should recuse himself. I mean, now he has, right? So yeah. initially, the ca- like initially, all the reporting and all the indications were um, when he first took the position that no, of course yeah. he's not going to recuse because that's the entire purpose of him getting appointed to this uh, position. Yes. <laughs> like he had been out there very verbally uh, disparaging the Mueller investigation when he was a CNN commentator and. Um, and so on and so forth. So that was, you know, that was sort of the the assumption. Um, there was probably going to be a cursory sort of, you know, re- ethics review, but wasn't expected to actually follow their advice. Now it's, it's sort of mixed now, right? There's this generic statement about whether, you know, oh, it'll follow the process, but that the process following the process doesn't necessarily mean you're actually going to follow the advice of what um, the ethics people there recommend. Right. I mean, it- I can see no realm in which they. Say now you're good to go. You can keep control of this. He's made he's made prejud- you know prejudicial comments about the investigation. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And now he also reportedly has said that he, even though he suggested one way to clip Mueller's wings would be to cut the funding, that he doesn't plan to do that. To cut the funding for Mueller. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a little bit. I don't know they can do that immediately because we're already in the new sort of fiscal year. The budget's already sort of been. Mm-hmm. Set internally, mm-hmm. um, and it also comes, you know, comes directly from the treasury. I think he he could. I mean, there's a way to rein it in. Um, there's a way for him to sort of delay this if he wanted to. Um, but we haven't had any indication of that thus far. I mean, he's only been there. Gosh, it's only a week. A week. Now? A week. Yeah. A week. <laughs> yeah. A week today. Yeah. Um, so 
Isn't that know. amazing? It's a week ago that Trump fired Jeff Sessions. I mean, yeah. this news cycle is just <laughs> insane. Right. Yeah, it feels a little longer, yeah. <laughs> right. It does. It does feel longer than that, right? Yeah. Um, so we don't know when this whole thing is going to come to a head, but it kind of begs the question about what Robert Mueller, where Robert Mueller is in his investigation right now. And again, in this town, Robert Mueller, as I've said so many times, he's the only person in Washington who can keep a secret. Yeah. So nobody really knows, but the buzz is that he, uh, I've heard this from so many people around the White House, uh, among the White House yeah. reporters, Look, Mueller is not dumb, no dummy. He knew what might happen. He knew that Jeff Sessions was going to be fired, yeah. most likely. Mm-hmm. He knew it was going to happen soon after the midterms. He knew that, therefore, his leash might be, you know, short, yeah. cut short, so that he would have made arrangements for that ahead of time mm-hmm. and must have some indictments sealed mm-hmm. and is ready to move pretty soon with some pretty big stuff, which yeah. could... Uh, there were reports yesterday, maybe on HuffPost, I read, that... They thought it might something might come down yesterday. Mm-hmm. So what 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 do we know if anything about where Mueller is and when we might expect? Even Jerome Corsi is expected to be indicted any minute. Right. I mean, I think we're coming up to a, you know a critical point in this in this process. I mean, I think that a lot of things are sort of merging right now. Obviously, with the new AG, with these potential new um, you know, potential indictments that are sort of floating out there. Um, but I don't know when exactly this is actually, you know, going to come to an ultimate head. I think it's, you know, we still got a little bit to sort of wait this out and see what, see what happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting in the next uh, few weeks for sure. I think that you know we're going to see we're probably going to see some indictments. It doesn't just unclear who at this point. Right. Uh, but it, it, it's possible, right, that Mueller, again, knowing the the, the, the landscape would change. Mm-hmm. Right, that he's got these. The grand jury already has okayed these indictments. Mm-hmm. They're ready to go. So no matter what, Mac, what Matt, Whitaker, if Matt Whitaker were to try to make a move, yeah, it would be too late. Right. Yeah. So to a certain extent, it is possible that he could have some indictments ready to go. Yeah, I think that the bigger question is sort of the issue of this final report that Mueller right. has been okay. sort of working on. Because there's this issue of uh, of whether you know, obviously, there's this big looming legal question of whether the president could be indicted. I think that the consensus on that is probably not when he's in office. Uh, so that report is ultimately something that's going to be very important because it's going to be what you know the um, House Judiciary Committee, the House can look at right. and say you know whether or not to start impeachment proceedings. Um, but the question is whether or not the document actually gets to lawmakers because there's sort of a veto option um, here because they can have uh, the you know the attorney general, the right. acting attorney general in this case, say no, this isn't going to. This is going to stay in house, and it's not going to go to Congress. Right now, of course, but, we're going to have subpoena power. You know, the Democrat Democrats right. will have subpoena power. Um, so you know that could change the change the landscape a little bit. Right. They they have subpoena power, and um, there are. Uh, uh, this really gets into the weeds for me, because not being an attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was this memo, Watergate memo, released this week. Yeah. <laughs> which um, It's all over my head, too. <laughs> right. I'm blanking on the name of the attorney who was so involved in, in Watergate. But anyway, it wrote an op-ed saying that, that we they were able to get the Watergate material, even though the White House didn't want them to have it. Mm-hmm. And, and so can this Congress get the, even if the attorney general says, no, we're not going to release this report. Mm-hmm that there are ways that they can get it, that yeah. they're not going to be able to keep it. First of all, what stays secret in Washington, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many leaks. This but, potentially, I mean, uh, well, I think but that somehow, once it, once And Jerry it is, Nadler, the chair, chairman-to-be, yeah. has also said, 
will get that report. Right. And if they get that report, the public will see that report. Right. I mean, so two things there. I think that, you know, there, there could be a, a long legal battle over, you know, that document. Um, but B, I think that also this fight has sort of already began because it's really about the optics and the trust in the Mueller investigation, right? Because, you know... It, if if Mueller's reputation had been what it was when he was first appointed to this, which is pretty stellar and bipartisan, and then they dropped this report and, you know, things sort of changed and then they dropped this report. I mean, that's a death blow. That's a pretty yeah. big deal, I think. But if you look at, you know, the the polling, um, there's been a huge, tremendous drop in, you know, amongst Republicans and trust in the FBI um, in mm-hmm. trust in the Mueller investigation. You know, there's been he's become this sort of he's been in this political grinder for a bit. And, you know, he doesn't have the stellar reputation that he started out with. I don't think through anything he's actually done, but just based on this, among, you know, the attacks well, and the Among that crowd, among those, yeah. that Trump crowd. I mean, yeah, they beat him up every day. It, right. it, it, it's bound to have an impact on his base. Mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the rest of the American people, I haven't seen any recent poll on that, still trust Mueller as a pretty straight shooter. Yeah, I think, I mean, Democrats certainly do. Um which is funny because he's a Republican, yeah. but um, I but I mean it's plummeted pretty. You know, Republicans just don't. Yeah, so. Uh, so Speaker to be Pelosi this week said that um, whatever the report says, the report doesn't have to say the president committed a crime, right, or an indictable offense mm-hmm. for Democrats to start impeachment hearings, mm-hmm. and and that's true as we've known forever. The, the House can impeach for whatever reason they want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's 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 obviously true. I mean that was something that during the campaign you didn't hear Democrats talking a lot no, about. In no. fact, they had avoid that. They had run away from any right. idea of impeachment. And even now, most of them are not talking about that. They're talking yeah. about investigations and, and and oversight. But right. she just made that point uh, that just reminding people it doesn't have to be a, right. a, a absolute criminal offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Sessions on his way out, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, left a little trail of uh, some uh, some bad deeds on his way out. One of them was the uh, new asylum ruling, mm-hmm. and then a second one on some criminal justice reforms that were underway. Yeah, so this was um, police reform. It also affects a number of areas of the law. These uh, sort of these agreements that are reached between um, the federal government and state and local governments, um, and police decrees. departments and their communi- communities. Correct. Right? Yeah. So the big, the high profile ones were the police department. Um, investigations. Um, it also affects environmental agreements, voting dis- agreements, um, and so forth. But police ones are the big ones in the past couple of years because we saw that in, you know, in Baltimore, in Ferguson, in Chicago, Chicago. where they had yeah. the Justice Department had done these extensive investigations, and you know, based on a lot of evidence, sort of laid out a pattern and practice of unconstitutional policing. Um, but what Jeff Sessions did in his final day in office uh, was issue this sort of long. This memo that we've been sort of waiting for for a bit, um, which sort of, you know, made it very, 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 very difficult for uh, the Justice Department to reach any agreements with any local organizations. That and this is something that was really underway under the Obama administration. Yeah. Where cities, but as my understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, cities were, corrupt, were cooperating. Mm-hmm. Police departments were cooperating. Mm-hmm. There were several of these police community relations agreements that had been reached, mm-hmm. right, um, that the Department of Justice had prodded to, you know, you got to get together and get this done, that they had actually succeeded. Right. And many others were underway. Yeah. And, and it had the support of, um, you know, pretty broad support, bipartisan support. And yeah. the Trump administration had pulled the plug on the whole process. Yeah. I mean, I think that there had been this, what's I think that 
one thing that I really go back to pretty frequently is that some of the conservative commentary about um, after the Ferguson report came out. Because if you look back at that, there are a few conservatives who came out there and said, hey, hey, hold on and wait a minute. Everybody, like, we should actually read this report. Because if you actually look at the Ferguson um, Police Department report, it lays out a, like, really abusive practices that should enrage any conservative, especially, you know, what they were doing in terms of fines and fees and trying to basically use their, uh, use, you know, tickets as a source of revenue. And it had these dire consequences on, you know, people who couldn't afford those tickets. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, parking ticket could land you, uh, just sort of tremendous abuses. And one thing that I thought that was really interesting was this red state column, which laid out, even if you don't believe that anything that was in that report, um, that the Justice Department wrote was true. If you just follow, okay, this is according to a Ferguson Department report, their own report. Like, this is what they said happened. Here's what their narrative of this event was. There were just these tremendous constitutional abuses based on their own report. Mm. So if you just believe exactly what the Ferguson right. Department said, it was, you know, these tremendous um, abuses. So I think that, but, but, you know, Jeff Sessions, when he came in, I think the first time we met with him afterwards, I, you know, asked him just a pretty simple question, which is whether or not he had read any of these reports. And he hadn't, but he still <laughs> opined on them and thought that they were anecdotal and, you know, that these weren't scientifically based and that, um, you know. That they weren't believable, essentially. So he, I mean, he has this preformed opinion of them right. um, that he sort of carried out throughout. Um, you know, despite this pretty extensive evidence well, of yeah. And this out. is this is like uh, at the same time parallel. There was this bigger effort on in terms of criminal justice reform, sentencing, and mm-hmm. prison reform, which even the Koch brothers were supporting a bipartisan effort in the in the Congress in the last days of the uh, last year, maybe of the Obama administration. Yeah. Um, and that's gone too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you have these fights between Jared Kushner and Sessions. Oh, that's right. Jared right. Kushner's in charge. In addition to the Middle East, I forgot, he's also in charge yeah. of uh, criminal justice reform, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How mean, much so time is he spending on that? I guess a lot. You know, his, I mean, he got interested in this, obviously, because his dad was imprisoned um, yeah. in federal mm-hmm. prison. So that was what sort of sparked this for Which him. may be the one reason Chris Christie does not become attorney general. Ding, 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 ding. Let's <laughs> not, not forget that thread. Uh, very quickly, a couple of minutes left. There was a big arrest yesterday here in Washington on uh, someone connected with the alt-right. Yeah, so it was. This, it, it happened last night, and actually I was went out to Bloomingdale, which is this you know, historically black neighborhood in, in D.C., which has been gentrifying in recent years, but um, and sort of went to this guy's house. And what happened was there was these two brothers who were very involved in the alt uh, right movement and were you know on Gab and you know were sort of mm. Nazis, admitted you know neo Nazis, um, and one of them last week went out to uh, Roosevelt Island and committed suicide. Um, and the police had you know searched their uh, their their townhouse um, that where they lived with their father um, yesterday or sorry last week rather. And um, so this and one one brother committed suicide and this other brother um, was arrested uh, yesterday and charged. Um, with some possession of an illegal uh, weapon and some other, you know, sort of more low-level charges. It's mm-hmm. it, but th- what they are planning is, um, you know, basically this brother was talking about this idea that he wanted to kill blacks and Jews, and um, it ended up that a couple of the family members actually had um, re- ultimately reported him to the police because they were so concerned about what he was saying after the death of his brother. Were they part of one of these organizations, these alt-right organizations, or? Yeah, so I talked to um, a neighbor Char- there. Involved in Charlottesville or anything? What right, so right about? before Charlottesville. They were in Charlottesville. Um, but right before that, there was actually this free speech event in D.C. And um, one of the neighbors said that a number of their you know friends or associates had gathered at their at their house ahead of time. And, um, you know, and at the same time in that neighborhood, there were 
and when they were in in that realm and staying over there there was this event um, at a bar showtime where there had been a group of people had come down and ripped down a gay pride flag um, and also there are a number of uh, leaflets left on cars in the neighborhood you know, in support of white supremacy. Don't so. mess with Showtime Bar, man. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Don't yeah. mess with Showtime Bar. <laughs> well, they got it back. That was the other detail of it. They Hell like yeah. ran and chased them down and got nice. it back. Yeah. Oh, they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. Stolen. Um, yeah. So it was. Yeah. This was a f- uh, federal arrest or DC police? Uh, oh, so combined. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's but it's it's just fascinating because they were. I mean, when this other neighborhood, they were only only white families on the block, and you know, this mm. isn't the neighborhood where you'd expect you know this sort of. You know this white supremacy emerging from, but that's right. what these two brothers. Yeah, are good job there reporting on it. You can follow Ryan, of course, at HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Thanks for coming in. Sure. All right, Thanks, uh, and we'll look forward to seeing what the Office of Legal Counsel says, <laughs> as if there's any question about it. <laughs> and the great congressman from Michigan, Dan Kildee, joins us next here in studio. Quick break. We'll be this right back. Is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Melania takes the axe and gives the Deputy National Security Advisor 40 wax. Oh, man, blood at the White House all over the place. What do you say, everybody? Yeah, it's getting tough down there. Stay away from the White House grounds. <laughs> May get caught in the uh, crossfire, to borrow a word. Good to see you today here on a Wednesday, November 14. It is the uh, Bill Press Show, and we are ready for you. Hope you're ready for us to uh, take you through the rest of the news of the day here from our studio on Capitol Hill in uh, Washington, D.C., and one of the um, big forces on Capitol Hill, a big big presence on Capitol Hill uh, representing Michigan's 5th Congressional District. Good Congressman Dan Kildee joins us in studio. Congratulations, Congressman. It's good Thank to you. see you. It's good to be back. Back for fourth term? Or fourth term. Fourth term. Yeah. How about it. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. Got a bigger office, maybe? Well, actually, we have our lottery for offices on Friday. Oh, so nice. So I'll, uh, I'll see. I brought a little Tiger Stadium dirt with me to have in my pocket <laughs> when I go and do the little thing. Yeah. The only time I ever got a good number was when I had that with me. <laughs> can we buy tickets, you know, for this lottery? You know, this it, it's, a, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> Actually, I think you can, we can watch it live streaming in our in our offices. So it's probably, right? I think it's on C-SPAN 17. Do, what they, do, do they put all your names in a hat and then they pull the... You just the, pull a number out and, uh, you know, it's, it's based by class, so... So I think there's about 60 members of my class or so still in Congress. There'll be one through 60. I pull out a number, and, and then I get to pick. So it's all, like, by seniority. Yeah. And then within the seniority, uh, same seniority, you have this little lottery. Yeah. It's kind of high tension and, that's and drama. Friday? Oh, For man. me, it's Friday. They're doing it all week. 
I, oh, I got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Peter, we ought to cover that live. You yeah, know, it's a big deal. It's the power it is a ball. Big deal. I mean, okay. this is important stuff. It's like it's this, like you know the most picking important. your house by lottery. You know, <laughs> well, and for some of these members, it literally is picking <laughs> their house by lottery. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How about it? So get ready. Send your comments on Twitter at BP Show, and we'll jump right into all the news of the day with the congressman. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. So yesterday, for the first time in 10 years, the Department of Health and Human Services announced that they are revising some of the exercise guidelines, particularly aimed at kids. The goal here, of course, I thought is... Michelle Obama did that. Well, the, it, the Health and Human Services did not review, re- revise the guidelines. She did a lot of work to change school lunches yeah. and to try and get yeah. people to okay. uh, let's move. That was her campaign. But nothing was ever set in stone in terms of what kids needed to do. So these new guidelines, the goal here is to get kids two and a half hours of exercise, not a day, a week. That's all. And, but they also say that you can, like, every little bit matters, right? So if you go to the grocery store, park at the back of the parking lot. Park all the way at the end so that you just get a couple more steps in. Like, every little bit matters is what they say. So it, it's pretty interesting that it's, that it's been 10 years since they revised these, right? Yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, I mean, you can't argue with every little, every step helps, every little bit helps. Maybe, no. But. Seems like you ought to have a more concerted effort. <laughs> I, I read that closely. I think another uh, one of the steps is to get the cart with the wobbly wheel. That's, <laughs> that gives you some additional you have To exert exercise. yourself just a little yeah. bit more with that thing. <laughs> By the way, uh, you know I'm not really a roller coaster guy. You're not a roller coaster guy, are you? Are you but? kidding? <laughs> I get sick on the metro. Right. I couldn't get. <laughs> well, at Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey over the weekend, there was it wasn't a roller coaster ride. It's called their Sky Screamer. It is about 224 feet up in the air, and it takes you up about 100 feet, mm, and, and it swings you around. Forget it. It is forget not it. something I am interested in at all. I do, this, I do that every day for a living. Why would I go and pay <laughs> yeah, exactly. somebody? It's harrowing enough being a United <laughs> right. States congressman. Well, here's the problem. It broke down and left riders suspended a oh. hundred feet up in the air on a very cold night over the weekend. Serves them right. There were about <laughs> <laughs> there were about That's twenty good. people that were trapped up there. So they finally got them down. Everybody's fine, but what a scary oh, couple that's minutes. Good. This is the Bill Press Show. One more congressional seat in California flips to the Democrats every day. The landscape looks better and better. The blue wave keeps growing. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go on a Wednesday, November 14, uh, the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. And so good to have you with us as we tackle the big stories of the day from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., joining you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast, from our studio on Capitol Hill, on, and we're joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Don't forget to check out our podcast at billpressshow.com and sign up for the podcast. On the radio with you on WCPT, on the whole greater Chicago area, and nationwide on television, on Free Speech TV, uh, and here with us in studio um, back for a, a fourth term in Congress, 
successfully re-elected to, to, from Michigan's 5th Congressional District, the Honorable Dan Kildee. Hello, Congressman. Good to be back. So uh, it's better to be in the majority than the minority, right? Yes, although I've never been in the majority in the six years that I've been here. Whoa. I've not experienced that yet. Wow. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, that's why we run for these jobs, to be able to actually push something forward, to do things. Actually get something done, oh, right? Yeah. Rather yeah. than just fighting a rear guard action and sitting around while Paul Ryan refuses to schedule votes right. on anything important. And, you know, we know that we'll have a Senate that'll be difficult <laughs> to navigate. And obviously getting the president uh-huh. to sign legislation that we write will be a task in itself. Uh-huh. But it, I just think it gives us an opportunity to send legislation over to the Senate, send legislation down the street to the White House and... You know, if they don't want to sign it, then they have to deal with the responsibility of not uh, supporting the work we do. So the outlook, that, uh, the number that I saw just before I came in, uh, now the, the House is at 229 Democrats to 199 uh, Republicans. That is already a pickup of 34 seats with seven seats nationwide still undecided. So we could go up to 37, maybe even to 40. Who right. knows? Uh that's pretty significant, isn't it? it? It's very significant. It's particularly significant given the the wall that we were up against with the district maps that are drawn in such a way that makes it really difficult. Michigan yeah. is yeah. a good example. We picked up two seats that were drawn to be Republican seats. Right. We we won those. So yeah, we're we're at seven huge, and seven from Michigan now. That's a, is that right? Yeah. I think that's a huge point that because we've had a couple of experts here in in studio who said. The Democrats are never going to win back the House until the next reapportionment because right. the districts are so unfair and so – well, they are. But despite using the old maps, the Republican maps, Democrats pick up right. 37, 40 seats. No question about it. And, it. and we would have clearly picked up a lot more. In fact, we had a conversation yesterday in one of our uh, leadership meetings about the seats that we came really close to winning. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, the natural tendency af- after winning – the majority and winning a whole bunch of seats is for people to say, okay, now we have to posture ourselves to defend these seats in the next cycle. I get that. We're not taking that approach. Our view is there are more seats that really mm. you know, we can win, we should mm. win. Uh, and, and then, of course, in some states like Michigan, we passed redistricting, uh, redistricting reform by referendum. So in the 2022 cycle, we'll have a new set of maps that are not based on uh, the advantage of one party or another. So I think there's there's a you real could even opening. expand it. Maybe in, it's possible in, in 2020. It's possible, right? Yeah. And when you look at where you mentioned picking up two seats in Michigan, but picking up three in Northern Virginia, right? Yeah. Picking up flipping, I think it was two in Texas, right? One in Oklahoma. I mean, Kansas. One in Kansas. Um, Some of it we didn't even expect, like the one in Oklahoma. That was really a surprise. Amazing. And we might even still get this seat in Utah. Yeah, yeah, it's still up in the air. I mean, Donald Trump already declared it lost Republicans. I guess we should give up on that because the president said so. Okay. All right, so (laughs) let's get it right up front, out of the way. Who's the next Speaker of the House and who are you supporting? I believe it'll be Nancy Pelosi. And, you know, absent somebody else running against her, I'm certainly going to support her. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I say that somewhat facetiously. Um, but, but but it is a point that with all this talk about is she in trouble, everybody says, well, who's running against her? We've asked that question so many times. And I say, well, nobody yet, but we'll line up all of our votes, and then we'll get somebody to run against her. Yeah, it doesn't just, work that way. It does, does not it? work that way. 
And, and in fact, it's, it's very frustrating for me because I am a person who has been mm-hmm. anxious to find a path forward for myself and for some newer members to be in positions of leadership. So it's, I'm, not, I'm not bought into the idea that we should have the current leadership forever, but we have to be honest and practical about this. In January, we're going to be in the majority. We should be really focusing on what we want to do and who can best help us navigate the path forward to get those things done and not buy into this sort of notion that it's all about personalities. It's not all about personalities. Where I work and where I live, it's about what we can get done. And I think there's just too much conversation. Sort of buying into the notion that has been built that that she is the problem, which is a, a, a construction of the Republican messaging machine. And I, I was on one of the news channels, <clears throat> Fox mm-hmm. News, ah, the other right. day, and, and they said, well, she only has like a 30... Morning Joe, not so long ago. Yeah, Joe, yeah. Right? yeah. But they, they, they said, well, she's only got like a 30% approval rating. What's Chuck Schumer's approval rating? What's Mitch McConnell's approval rating? What's Paul Ryan's approval rating? The very um, the yeah, notion of yeah. these positions is not to become a, a popular national leader because that's just not the role. Uh, leadership is the act of sometimes disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. Mm-hmm. And in real leadership, I think, does mean you have to sacrifice popularity in the name of actually getting things done. So I, I just don't buy the notion that she is the problem. I think we have a bigger problem than that as a party, uh, and it has to do with what we stand for and whether or not we're actually going to push an agenda that's based on what people in, in this country really want to see us do, not who gets to stand in front of the camera. Right. So you didn't answer the question oh. directly. Uh, today, are are you a vote for Nancy Pelosi? I am. You I are. Am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, Nancy and I are good friends, and we go, we're both former Democratic chairs of California. That's um, right. But and and but I I also would love to see some new young leadership in in the, in the Congress for sure. Uh, and um, at the same time, you got to admit Nancy worked her ass off for this. She and did. raised so much money and helped so many candidates. And I think this um, message of the Republicans that, oh, God, no, Nancy Pelosi trying to make her the boogeyman of the – it's kind of gotten stale. and It's not working it's, anymore. It's kind of huh? old. Yeah. You know, so there were a couple of arguments that were being advanced by, by some of the opponents of Nancy. One, which is really kind of an interesting argument that we still hear echoes of, is that we will never be in the majority as long as Nancy Pelosi is the Democratic leader. Well, uh, I think yeah. we're in the majority. I think, now. yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so much for that argument. So, you know, Nancy herself, in an LA Times interview about two weeks ago, I think, you know, indicated that she knows that this is not something that she's going to do forever, that she sees right. this as a transitional, yeah. um, that's her term, not mine, Yes, uh, speakership. Um, and so I think we all recognize that we're in that moment where a, a new group of leaders are beginning to emerge. And we have, you know, the top three leaders that are right. obviously in a position where they're not going to be mm-hmm. uh, around for, for a long, long time. That's fine. That's fine. I, I, I just think when we go into a fight with Donald Trump, we better put our best players on the field. Right. And I have seen her navigate really difficult situations, really tough fights. And, 
And I, people I feel pretty said, good about her in that case. Yeah. Uh, the, it, there would be no Affordable Care Act without Nancy Pelosi. There wouldn't. I think they could just flat out, that's a fact, right? Yeah. Even Rahm Emanuel was trying to talk about when they got in a little trouble, he ought to drop this baby, huh? You know, Nancy said, no, over my right. dead body. The other part of it that's frustrating to me, and, and you <laughs> know, these are friends of mine. They're all friends. Right. That's one of the problems with these leadership struggles. Sure. Everybody's a friend, and they're all good people. Uh, and I think their intentions are sincere. But I believe when, especially when we are now in the majority, there's an obligation to have a plan. You know, when you're in the minority, you can just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall mm-hmm. and see what sticks. And if it doesn't work, what have you lost? Yeah. In this case, I think there's a lack of responsibility in saying, we're going to stop her, but we offer absolutely no alternative other than somebody will emerge. Yeah. Well, if that somebody will emerge, what does it say about that somebody if their weakness is that they're unwilling to challenge Nancy Pelosi right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that the person we want to have as the speaker? Right. If they're not willing to take on Nancy Pelosi, do we expect that they're going to be able to take on Donald Trump? Yeah. Very good point. Uh, Yesterday, uh, the number two, Steny Hoyer, issued a list of 155 Democrats who are supporting him for... what, what's majority it? leader. Majority leader. Right. So, yeah. I was confused between whip and majority leader. Um, uh, uh, that's not 218. Or no, he doesn't need 218. He doesn't need it. He I needs guess. a simple majority. That's the difference between that's right. the other In positions. In the caucus. And, yeah. yeah. And so for whip, for caucus chair, for all the other positions, a simple majority of the caucus. Does 155 do it? Yes. For him? Yeah, because yeah. at most we're going to have 235 or so. Got it. So, right. yeah, that'll do it. And so the only challenge then is to um, Jim, to, yeah, to Jim, Jim Clyburn, Clyburn from right. uh, Diana DeJet. Right. DeJet? DeJet. I always get DeJet from yeah. Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Another, I mean, she's another one who's a great friend, and they're, they're all, you know, solid people. I think, you know, I think Jim plays a special role in our caucus, and, um, you know, he's a good friend, and so is she. But I think you have to make the case for change, and mm-hmm. in this case, um, I'm not sure that across that threshold. Right. Uh, now, what is then, do you see, and you've alluded to a couple of times, uh, the role of the Democrats? I'm practically cutting into there's so many stories these days, and it kind of drive me crazy, that all oh, Democrats are going to overplay their hand. They're just going to, you know, they got all this power now. They're going to abuse this power. They're just going to be attack Trump, attack Trump, attack Trump. That's that's our whole agenda. Um, so there's a big responsibility that comes, of course, with the leadership, which is... Um, the ability to have uh, uh, oversight hearings right. and to have investigations. There's a subpoena power. Uh, how do you see that Donald Trump says, you do any of that, I'm not going to cooperate with you. Right. So is it, a ch- is it a choice between investigate or cooperate? Or can you do both? How do you see it playing out? I mean, I, I, don't, I think it's a false choice that has been presented. And it's being presented so again, again by people whose interest is to try to make us respond and say, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You know, we're going to focus on our agenda. The truth is, you know, we swore, we all swear an oath to uphold the Constitution and to do the jobs that we are elected to do. One very serious responsibility is to provide that check on the other branches of government. And on the executive branch, we have a very serious and, 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 and important responsibility that we have to do. It's not a choice. I mean, the choice, I suppose, is to not show up for work. Right. But if we show up, 
we have to do the job. Yeah. Now, well, of I, course, I'd have to add that the Republicans didn't do that for for the last two years. Not for the last two years. Uh, they yeah. were they were fairly aggressive in the preceding eight years. Oh boy, were they ever? Yes. Yeah. Benghazi. Right. <laughs> so I, but here's where I th- I do think we we do have a responsibility not to just be the other side of that coin, but to operate as I think I've seen uh, Jerry Nadler, the uh, incoming chairman of the Judiciary Committee, um, demonstrate. Uh, Adam Schiff, the Intel Committee, uh, demonstrate we're going we're gonna to operate in a dignified fashion. We're going to do our job and take it seriously. We're going to let the facts dictate where these investigations go. And simultaneously, we're going to push an agenda that we heard the American people tell us they want us to push. We're going to talk about pension security. We're going to talk about making sure that health care is, is a right that people can afford, not just a right that they have but they can't mm-hmm. afford. Um, you know, we're going to deal with infrastructure. These are the things that the American people want us to address. Prescription drugs. Prescription drugs. I mean, that ought to be something yeah. we can take on right out of the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and some things you think you mentioned, uh, the Senate is kind of a, a wall, not as big a wall as we thought, but still going to be maybe 52, 53, that these are issues that there'll be some senators willing to play as well. I think so. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say. The Senate's a different animal. Um, you know, it's not it's not an accurate reflection of the body politic in this country. When you know a majority yeah. of senators represent a clear minority of Americans, but you know the system perhaps can work. And if we send legislation over there, look, you know, we can do things that are fairly reasonable, that are a big advance in terms of our agenda. That we could argue that anybody could support, like a like a prescription drug bill. Who's going to vote? I mean, who can justify that? Uh, not supporting uh, allowing the United States government to negotiate for the best price for American citizens on on prescription drugs. Do you think there's any prayer of um, well, first of all, in the House and then between the House and the Senate, of anything on gun safety, or is that issue just going to disappear? I think we're gonna we we are going to obviously take up the very simple common sense initiatives that had bipartisan support for which the only obstacle was the lack of a Republican leader who would put it on the floor. You know, something like mm-hmm. making background checks truly universal. Everybody thinks we sort of think we already do that. We don't. 40% of gun sales don't go through any background check. We can fix that. Yeah. Uh, outlawing th- simple things like Bump stocks, which nobody heard of before Las Vegas, sadly. Um, magazine size, so that the lethality of a rifle is, is limited to the number of rounds that's reasonable for a hunter or a target shooter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, these things that had had Republican support. I did a bill on bump stocks. Um, two Democrats, two Republicans. We thought we had this thing locked. Even the NRA was having a hard time saying they would oppose it until we introduced the bill. And then they came out four square against it. Um, we will be able to put these bills on the floor. You know, there's one measure on that. I just I just noticed today, and I'm reminded about the New York Times that back it was back in 1996 that Congress, after intense lobbying from the National Rifle, Rifle Association, effectively barred the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. They're not allowed to look into the public health effects right. of gun violence. Right. They're not even allowed mm. to study. 
and now NRA is out there, the NRA is out there attacking the doctors, right, right, who dare say, you know, I'm treating too many victims of gun violence in my emergency room, and we ought to do something about it, right? I see it every day. To, to tell the doctors, stay in your lane. Yeah. How? I see it every day. I mean, I represent a, a community that has a lot of gun violence, and if I, when I speak to the uh, physicians, say at Hurley Medical Center in Flint, Michigan. Uh, they will tell me that one of the biggest public health threats to young Flint males, especially, is gun violence. It's it's one of the sad stories of this country that we have not been able to 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 take on in a serious way because of one organization and their really unscrupulous way of wielding their power over a Republican Congress that is all too willing to cede their power to that organization. Right. Yeah. No, but I agree with you. I mean, I think the challenge for the Democrats, which are they're they're more than up to right now, is to yes, be the check and balance, which constitutionally is the job, and uh, you appropriate the money, and then you do oversight to make sure yeah. the money is well spent, and at the same time, uh, work on a positive legislative agenda. Yeah. And God knows there have been these there's ideas like this one that have been like waiting in line for somebody willing to for sure. actually move yeah. right. Even the dreamers, I think, is another area. Another one where we we came close, and you think about it, we had we had some comprehensive immigration reform that passed the Senate in 2013. The House just couldn't bring it up, yeah. um, sadly. One of the aspects of uh, the midterms, I think, that gets uh, uh, not enough people recognize the significance of it is that Democrats not only win back the House big time, not only come do out better in the Senate than was expected. But at the governor's level. Oh, yeah. And no better example than Michigan. Yeah, it was great. Now, so talk, talk to us about the significance of now, yeah, you got the blue wall on the West Coast and the blue wall on the East Coast. But in the heartland now, we've got Pennsylvania, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Kansas, yeah. governorships. We, just, we missed Ohio. Yeah, uh, but, I know. But otherwise, that's huge. It's Isn't it's it? really big, and in fact, in you know Michigan, since 2016, we've been hanging our heads because we lost the state of Michigan. Donald Trump won it by less than 10,000 votes. We elected a, a governor, a Democratic governor, with a wide margin over a, a very well-known uh, attorney general, female, uh, female uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Gretchen, uh, the former Gretchen Whitmer. Um, yeah. good friend of mine. Uh, the former uh, Democratic leader of the state Senate. Mm -hmm. We also elected a new attorney general. We haven't had a governor with a Democratic attorney general, uh, gosh, since Jim Blanchard was governor mm. of Michigan a long time ago. Um, we elected a, gov a Democratic secretary of state who mm. ran mm -hmm. on the idea of restoring this notion that the right to vote is something that is sacred. Oh, my. How um, unusual. Yeah. Yeah, right. We, all the of state course, uh, boards of education. In yeah, Georgia. exactly. Yeah. So, um, and we t and we picked up two uh, house seats. It was a big night for us. Right, it really was. And Debbie Stabenow getting reelected. Debbie Stabenow got reelected. Yeah, of course we had one eye on Wisconsin because there was a you know, there's a you know there, we we all felt some vindication that Scott Walker had to face the it, wrath of voters. You know how sweet it is. It is. I mean, for Scott Walker and Chris Kovac in Kansas, I mean, they were oh, God, they, that was those were a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was with Colin Allred. I don't know if you know who Colin is. Oh, yeah. He, he, he from Texas. He's the guy who beat 
Pete Sessions, the oh. chair of the Rules Committee. Yes, yes. You know, so some of these victories are sweeter than others. And, That's a hundred percent true. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's a hundred percent true. Like and Democrats didn't win all of them. There were a couple of heartbreakers out there, but boy, there were some ones to really. If only we could about. have added Ted Cruz to that list. That would have been sweet. Yeah, I talked to Beto last night. You know, he's in he's in good spirits. He he did something important because Beto's race is one of the reasons that Colin Allred's in Congress. Yes. That we won some yes. of those seats. The organization that Beto was able to put together. He really lifted a couple of seats there. And you look at yeah. some of the changes in Texas, and yeah. you, I mean, they, they really are because of the enthusiasm that Beto O'Rourke caused there and lifted all these other candidates all over For the sure. state of Texas. And yeah, and he not fell just short. The, not just but, the state of Texas. Right. And I was out working for a lot of these candidates. I was mm-hmm. in Illinois, in Springfield, Illinois, with a great candidate who just fell short. I think we'll get maybe ne- that one next time. Knocking on doors in Springfield and came across the Beto O'Rourke sign in the window. <laughs> I mean, I, so I immediately took a picture and texted it to Beto. <laughs> and, and may, I, you know, he, he helped, I think, bring a lot of folks who believe in the principles of the Democratic Party who'd felt perhaps that we'd gotten away from those principles, he brought a lot of people back. Mm-hmm. I, hope, it, I hope he stays in the game. Is he going to run for president? I told him last night, I said, Beto, you've got to be thinking about it. And he said, eh, I don't want to make news here. <laughs> but he didn't say no, so I'm, I'm going to keep pushing him. But I think he'd be a great candidate. Uh, it, he would be. And what's amazing is that uh, people are talking, you and others, friends of his, and across the country, people are talking about him, even though he didn't win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But he certainly has that appeal, Look, and he's I, an incredible cat. And by the way, so there are, what, 294 counties in Texas? I think yeah, it is, there's right? a bunch. There are only 99 in Iowa. That's true. <laughs> a lot easier to get across all of Iowa than Texas. Yeah. yeah. Once, he's, once so he's done Texas, It puts some more miles cake. on that pickup truck. Or yeah. One, or the, or the, you know, I came, <laughs> I, I came into Congress with Beto, mm. and- you know, we talk about him now, but a lot of us who've been working with him have noticed how remarkable he is from day one. He he's true to himself. Uh, he's he he is just a, I think, an exemplary public leader, not just public official. And I hope he I hope he does take a close look at it. Plus, you know, the amount of money he was able to raise was something seventy million dollars. Oh In I mean, one quarter, he raised thirty-seven million dollars. Yeah, I mean, this is presidential level. Yeah, fund almost a million donors and and no PAC money. None, almost a million donors. It was it was people driven the whole thing, right? And that doesn't even tell the whole story because what he had on the ground, the kind of people he was able to energize, and the literally the foot soldiers, is the reason that this ruby red state of Texas was a nail biter in a in a uh, Senate race. That's extraordinary, right? Yeah. So um, so when does everything get started? The uh, the the leadership elections will be held. Later this month, I think is is early after Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving, okay, yeah. as right. early as I think the twenty eighth or 29th. Right. We passed and a rule chair- a few uh, months Sorry. ago saying we wanted to wait till after Thanksgiving. And the chairmanships are more or less decided, right? Yeah, the chairmanships. There is a process, but the presumption is that the ranking members, uh, none of whom are retiring, uh, will become chairs of those mm-hmm. committees. Right. So we're talking Adam Schiff, intelligence. Right. Jerry Nadler, judiciary. Judicial. Elijah Cummings oversight, oversight. Nita right. Lowy appropriations, Nita Lowy, Lowy Maxine Waters financial services, right? Donald Trump's worst nightmare, oh, yeah. and Steve Mnuchin's worst nightmare. Yes, absolutely right. right. 
And so ready to hit the ground running January, whatever, 3rd or whenever you all come back, right? We're pretty excited about putting legislation on the floor. That's why I think all of this, and I don't mean to minimize it because it's important, but the focus on the personalities is is too much. Uh, I, I think what we need to talk about is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And once we know that, figure out who the best team on the field is to advance that agenda. At the end of the day, whoever we elect as speaker is going to be the target of the Republican messaging machine. Um, so we may as well just accept that right. and find the person who's tactically and strategically the best person to lead us through these next two years. And, and I say this somewhat facetiously, the fact that no one else is stepping up says something. Uh, right. But I don't see another person right now that would uh, that would do it that could get 218 votes. And finally, a lo- a, as long as the deal is a good deal, are Democrats willing to cooperate with Donald Trump? <clears throat> For sure. I mean, there's there there's a responsibility that comes with this job to actually move things forward. I'm I'm done with noble defeat as Democrats. We. Sometimes it seems as though we fall in love with, with the notion, notion. Of, of, of the nobility <laughs> of our righteousness in loss. Yeah. I, I don't want that anymore. Uh, if we can put legislation together that helps fix America's you know, broken roads and beat up old cities and Donald Trump will sign it, I'll take it. As long as it's a good deal. Good right. deal. Yeah, right. absolutely. Hey, Congressman, good deal for you. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's great to have you here for another two years, and uh, we'll see lots of you. For sure. Right? So go get them, and good luck in your own leadership. Uh, that's the helmless is too right. here. All right. Never We're going to see your name in headlines. You never know. <laughs> I never know. <laughs> We're with you. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show. Again, we'll continue. Ed Chung joins us from the Center for American Progress. He's their vice president of criminal justice reform. Very, very important area. Uh, we'll see a lot of action in that area as well. Bill Press Show on this Wednesday. Quick break. Thank you again, Congressman. Thank you. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. Happy Wednesday, November 14, uh, the Bill Press Show. Here we are in Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action with Congress back uh, and trying to get lined up for the new Congress with Democrats in charge of the House. Their lead keeps growing every day. It picked up another picked up another seat yesterday in California, uh, and coming closer than Democrats thought they would in the United States Senate. We're brought to you today by the great men and women of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, uh, members of the UFCW, under President Mark Perone, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families with their good work at America's great grocery chains across the country. Uh, We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and direct you to their website at ufcw.org. And uh, welcome here to help us wrap up the show for today from the Center for American Progress, Vice President for Criminal Justice Reform, Ed Chung. I thought that was Jared Kushner's job. <laughs> no, not not at Cap. Oh, uh, oh, I see. But he's also, I believe, supposed to uh, be in charge of bringing uh, Middle East peace and reforming government, and uh, so he's vice president for a lot of things apparently in this administration, <laughs> and has accomplished absolutely 
Nothing. Uh, Ed, good to have you with us Thanks here. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've been at it for a little bit here before you walked in, Peter. Yes, indeed. A couple of comments really quickly on Twitter, <laughs> at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, Dan Kildee, who we just had in studio, told us he is going to support Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House. Larry says, fine, then you and her are on the clock to deliver this lunatic's removal from office. <laughs> that is the number one priority for Larry, uh, who found us at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, also, one other quick comment from uh, Bab says, uh, no doubt Democrats will go to great lengths uh, to take each other out. I saw that in 2016 and again in 2018. Pelosi and Schumer's critics are mindful of the lack of fight in the face of Republicans. One day it's a bringing a knife to a gunfight and grow a backbone. The next it is opposite day. So they're looking for some strong leadership, both the Speaker of the House and in the Senate. Find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Yeah, I, I think and I think we saw this with Congressman Kildee. By the way, uh, the members that I've talked to, um, the more progressive members and some of the more uh, conservative or moderate Democrats, I think there's a great unity among Democrats that I that I sense that they're uh, they recognize the that how big they want that they are in the majority. They have an opportunity. Uh, and a responsibility, and uh, they're ready to. I think they're really ready to rock and roll. So um, I'm I'm excited about the uh, about the possibilities. Um, uh, Ed, sort of changing uh, directions here because I wanted to, wanted to talk to you particularly about. There have been several stories lately, and this is in the wake of the massacre at the Pittsburgh synagogue, uh, which was has been designated and was clearly a hate crime. Yep. Um, that this is following a trend that we've seen in the increase of hate crimes in this country. What are the facts? Yeah, well, the FBI just came out with uh, their analysis of 2017 numbers. So it's taken, you know, it takes anywhere from nine months to a, a year for them to come out with the previous year's numbers in crime in general. Right, And so right. the hate crimes numbers just recently were published, and it showed a 1,000 additional hate crimes in 2017 that were reported compared to 2016. Now... Crime numbers generally in the United States are unfortunately, I wouldn't say unreliable, but it's hard to get a national picture because it's voluntary reporting. We have over 17,000 law enforcement agencies in the entire country. The number of agencies that actually report on hate crimes to the FBI on this voluntary basis is a minimal amount, 6,000, 7,000, a very small amount. Um, the we number have, So some report them and some don't, or some classify something as a hate crime and some don't. Is that it? That's correct. And so over in 2016, the number was in the low 6,000 range. And so another thousand were reported, but another thousand agencies reported in 2017. So what's, what we can say is that at least anecdotally or not even anecdotally, the numbers show an increase in reporting the number of crimes, but we also see an increase in the number of agencies that are reported. So is it due to reporting or is it due to an increase in reporting or is it due to an increase in hate crimes that have been committed? I think a lot of people looking at this have been saying, the increase in the number of agencies reporting alone can't account for the number of increases in hate crime. So we are seeing a lot of um, additional incidents. And another thing I think you are alluding to here is what is the definition of a hate crime? Right. What, I was going to ask you. Right. Right. And so what and what control does a local agency have in determining if something is a hate crime or not? So there's a lot of control at the local level um, on what 
what and how they can report. A hate crime, I guess, would be a, uh, a crime committed against people for a specific, like because of their religion or because of their race or their sexual orientation, right? That's Not right. Not just a random drive-by shooting or robbery in an alley somewhere in a city, right? It's, yeah, let, yeah. Let me give you an example of a case that when I was at the Justice Department, I was in the Civil Rights Division and I was prosecuting hate crimes. And uh, I had a case in California, and I won't say where, but in California, we took it to trial. But the facts of the case were pretty basic. Um, there was a black man sitting in a bar and he was minding his own business. A white guy comes in, a stranger, they didn't know each other at all. And he comes in and just starts just giving him crap, right? And uses racial epithets at him. And and again, this is people who don't know each other, strangers whatsoever. And then the victim in this case completely ignores the guy. All of a sudden, after some time has passed, the uh, defendant in this case, who's a big MMA fighter, comes up to him and just starts punching him and clocks him and knocks him out cold. Now, if that case, the reason the federal government stepped into that case, well, there was a few reasons, but one of it was if it was if it went to the locals, the locals at that time weren't going to prosecute this maybe at all. And if they were, it was going to be something like a simple assault. And so we took it as a hate crime and we got a conviction for a hate crime. But if we didn't, then the locals could it have would just... never have been. And never have been reported as exactly. a hate crime. Exactly. Right. So at the local level, there is a, a real need to have training and make this a priority. Mississippi, for example, one hate crime reported last year, and that's a consistent thing. <laughs> In the entire state of In Mississippi? In the entire state of Mississippi. And so there's a lot of agencies that didn't report, but of the agencies that did, there was one. So it seems like Mississippi has the best race relations in the country if you're going to look at that particular stat. But we know that um, that's a flaw in the data and how things are being reported. So um, it's concerning both that there is an increase in the number of reported crimes. And it's also a concern that there is a lack of reporting generally. Right. Um, and not a hate crime does not necessarily have does not necessarily include violence, right? Physical violence. That's right. I mean, so it could be it could be the threat of it could be um, property damage. Right? I was going to say, like knocking over the tombstones in a cemetery. It's right. Let me give you another example of kind of or a, painting the swastika, swastika on a on a, outside of a synagogue. Or, right. Yeah. Another example. I mean, 2017 was uh, when Charlottesville happened with the entire the clash, the the neo-Nazi march. Um, yeah, but there were some very fine people among the, the, the both sides. Both sides. Both yeah, sides. Yeah. Right. Both sides. Don't forget. Um, there was one reported <clears throat> hate crime. In that in, in 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 Charlottesville total, and I mean there are massive yeah, you know, the, yeah. the clash itself out of that. If you're only saying that there was one, um, you can tell kind of what the underreporting is. And so um, we're but we looked at, we saw spikes in uh, bias motivated crimes based on religion. Um, Jewish uh, Jewish Americans were the ones who were the most targeted, and then race as well, and um, and, and uh, African Americans. Uh, and, uh, so, and does the um, applicable penalty or punishment for uh, or hate crime uh, notably more severe than? If not a hate crime. Right. So it depends on how it's charged. And so that's another thing, right? If it's charged at the federal level, the federal level, you can, any simple assault, you can't charge because that's a state crime. But 
you can take it federally and you can get uh, you can get a higher sentence. It depends on a st- each state, whether the state has a particular enhancement or not. And so there's a lot of I mean, all crimes, the majority of all crimes really depend on locals, local police, local prosecutors in order to bring that to accountability. And there is a lot of discretion there about where they can take it. In some cases, it seems like the locals overcharge when it comes to things like drug crimes and the war on drugs through the history of this country. But in other cases, it seems like they undercharge depending on what the situation is. Not to you know blanket this completely for all yeah. locals, but um, there is that concern um, about discretion at the local right. level. So um, in, in from jumping to hate crimes to the whole area of criminal justice reform, which uh, I find a little confusing myself because there are different kinds. Criminal justice yeah. reform can mean different things. Yeah. Um, but criminal justice reform at the national level, um, we were talking a little bit earlier, in the last years of the, certainly the last year of the Obama administration, there was a pretty big effort in Congress and then among outside organizations, including the Koch brothers who were mm-hmm. supportive of this, th- to take a look at particularly sentencing reform, prison reform, yep. a whole just, that aspect of criminal justice reform. Uh, in that there are too many people in prisons for nonviolent crimes yeah. for long because of the, um, we call it three strikes and you're out in California or determ, pre-term, what's the phrase? I mean, it's three, three strikes and you're out. So if you're like a predicate felon, if you've been a felon, it's yeah. like these, these sentences right. that just stack on because or, or, of Or these sentences were mandatory. Mandatory minimums. Mandatory minimums. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of, right? So what what's happened to that whole movement? So what's interesting is that Jeff Sessions didn't like it. Jeff Sessions didn't like it. And so there was a real lull right when the Trump administration started. And Jeff Sessions, I'm glad you're asking this question because the history of this, even the recent history of this is being convoluted in a lot of ways. So let's not forget that as as the at the tail end of the Obama administration, there was a lot as you're talking about progress being made. Yeah. But right when the Trump administration came in, the administration did everything possible to get rid of all of that. So there were reforms being made at the Bureau of Prisons to try to get people to re-enter society, education, give them identifications, all that. That stuff was cut off. The funding for the Bureau of Prisons was cut off, not cut off completely, but decreased significantly. And there are a lot of issues regarding staffing at BOP that make it unsafe even for corrections officers within there. And so there was this lull for about a year. Now, we go to Vice President Kushner here, right? And Vice President <laughs> Kushner, for whatever reason, has been pushing a prison reform agenda. Now, his his father was, is somebody who was a convicted, is right. currently in prison, so he has personal Is he experience. still in prison? I, I, no, I, I think he's out He now. may be out now. Yeah. But he, he has that experience. So I'm not going to ma- put any judgments on what his actual motivations are, but he has been pushing at least prison reform for a while. And that bill, a bill passed in uh, the House earlier this year by a pretty resounding margin. I think there were 360 votes for it. Hmm. The issue is that if you have prison reform under an AG Sessions or even a prison reform under this administration who doesn't really believe in it, then what good is passing legislation if you're not going to implement it correctly? Right. And so that's what a lot of progressive groups were looking at and saying prison reform is good. You need to be cognizant and you need to keep people accountable to implement it correctly. But what really matters is the front end of the system when you're sentencing people to these ridiculously high mandatory minimums, that those are the things that need uh, to be decreased. And the real champions in the Senate have been Senator Durbin, Booker, and Harris, but also Senator Grassley 
has been a staunch proponent of Senate That's right. He was in in, in that, too. So is there a possibility now that this picks up again? So there is. There was a recent endorsement by the uh, Fraternal Order of Police, which had, in everything that the Obama administration did, was completely opposed to it. Completely. Just whatever it was. Yeah. And all of a sudden now, a bill that may, in the end, turn out to be somewhat uh, similar to what was previously considered, it's going to be watered down. But- that's a bill or those are the principles that FOP now, for whatever reason, is supportive of. And so we'll see in the next couple of weeks what the actual details are as they come out. Um, But it's a really interesting time. And um, of the 10 major things that Kushner is in charge of, this may be one where he makes at least some progress. Mm-hmm. It would be good to see, yeah, right? Absolutely. Uh, so the other aspect, uh, under the rough heading, I guess, of criminal justice reform, and we talked a little bit earlier about this with Ryan Riley from HuffPost, are the community relations, uh, police community relations uh, agreements, some of them prodded by the Department of Justice, which is telling communities, you got to get, like Chicago, you got to yeah. get your stuff together uh, and come up with a community relations plan. Uh, many of those underway, and then Jeff Sessions comes in and says, nope, we don't believe in that anymore, yeah. right? So I'm going to give Jeff Sessions credit for one thing, um, and this this pains well, me to quit. do. Well, he <laughs> No, he didn't quit. He was fired. He was, All right, he, right. Sorry. He was forced to resign. Um, he has actually been good on prosecuting hate crimes, taking it back to what we started earlier. So mm-hmm. okay. even on things like transgender crimes against transgender people, he actually did allowed the career prosecutors to push those. So there has not been a drop off on those individual cases. And I think the same could be said on individual prosecutions of police officers when if if there is criminal behavior there. Where he has really pushed pulled us back, pulled the country back is when you're talking about civil investigations of police departments or of anything else based on civil rights laws. And so his parting gift to uh, the country was a formal memo really curtailing how this happens. And so there are- As he's going out the door. As he's going out the door. And so there are all of these administrative and bureaucratic hurdles to accomplish before you could even get a case considered or an investigation considered. And what that does is it undercuts career litigators in the Justice Department because now everybody on the outside knows every single step that you have to take in order to have an investigation go forward. And on top of that, he's limiting the remedy. Some of these remedies, it takes years because the problem has been developing for years. So it does it's not going to happen within a set amount of time. But he's limited those types of remedies to three years, which is really, if you're going to change a police mm-hmm. entire department mm-hmm. in three years, how many organizations can you really change uh, in three years when you've had a finding of a pattern or practice of discrimination. It's yeah. virtually impossible. Right. Uh, so thank you, Jeff Sessions, yes. uh, on your on your, <laughs> on your your way out. Well, it raises the banks of question kind of, of okay, with, his, uh, with him gone, how can the Department of Justice function even under an acting attorney general who is there illegally? You, you know, when I first heard about the Whitaker appointment, I, I was I was only looking at it the one way of okay this there's a vacancy there but and and you put, you could put in kind of a senior person in a vacancy but we're not we're talking about a cabinet level official and now the state of Maryland has actually sued uh, uh, sued based on a case that uh, a civil case that they're looking they're they're uh, filing 
on the very basis that Whitaker is an uh, is an illegal or is it, his appointment was unlawful and he's not a the a proper uh, head of the justice the department. state of maryland has filed against whitaker on this yeah i believe against so. the trump administration yeah i believe yeah. that uh, that just happened recently and so there are going to be more issues like this where you're talking about um specific challenges to the authority of the justice department based on who is now at the top and when you have this kind of floundering leadership at the justice department it's not let's remember it's not only acting attorney general whitaker we have a deputy attorney general who should have been elevated according to the doj succession plan but he is also continuing to be undercut by the president so the president over the last two years has undercut AG Sessions has undercut Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein and is now installing somebody who is, in many, in the eyes of many, not supposed to be there under our Constitution. And so, for the more uh, the morale of career staff in the Justice Department uh, being able to go out and pursue the interests of the country through the Justice Department, it really brings it down. And there is that uncertainty creates a lot of. Um, just uh, confusion, and it could, can create a lot of confusion about who's in charge. Right. Now, Robert Mueller, special counsel, may not have known, certainly nobody knew, that Donald Trump was going to put someone who is so openly anti the Mueller investigation in charge of the Mueller investigation. But Mueller did certainly know that Jeff Sessions was not going to be around that long, that there were going to be some changes, probably a new attorney general, and unlikely Donald Trump would appoint somebody friendly to the – so he knew trouble was ahead, right? I, I, so yeah. did did Robert Mueller – do we know? Did he uh, – is he ahead of the game here, right? <laughs> and does he have some indictments already agreed to by the grand jury – under seal, ready to drop, no matter who's in charge. I think that's the one thing that we have to assume that he, I mean, we have to assume that one, well, not assume, we know he's a smart guy, Mueller is. Right, he's, that's, he, exactly, he's no dummy. He's, he's no dummy. And so, if, you know, if we as armchair, you know, observers of the Justice Department of the administration can foresee this happening, Mueller certainly has planned for those contingencies. One of the things that is interesting is we see how, uh, there was some thought that Mueller gave some of these other cases to other U.S. attorneys' offices because he was forced to do so um, because you know his team was smaller and those re- things really happened in other jurisdictions. But by doing so, by giving the Southern District of New York cases related to this uh, to this investigation the, in order to shut something down now you can't just shut down Mueller or 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 um, make it make him uh, you know defund him or whatever because there is a case now there are cases now in other jurisdictions that can take it over so now, that's a good point because the New York case for example where Donald Trump has already been named an unindicted co-conspirator in the Michael Cohen case, uh, if they shut down Robert Mueller, that case continues, right? Right, Right. exactly. And so there has to be other things like that. I mean, sealed indictments, we don't know, but there's, I mean, things can be sealed for quite a long time depending on what the reason was given. And so we'll see how this happens, but it's the faith in the fact that Mueller is smarter than us or at least smarter than me. And if I can foresee something, then Mueller, Mueller definitely can. Yeah, faith in Robert Mueller. And, and you know, he may... Uh, uh, he may drop the hammers. They, some people thought it was going to be yesterday. I, right. I got all excited. I thought we were going to be talking about it today, but he didn't. But maybe today. Maybe soon. 
who knows? Uh, so a CNN has sued the White House uh, for taking the hard pass away from Jim Acosta and demanded that it be restored. They tried to work out a deal with the White House. The White House wouldn't play. So they filed a lawsuit, none other than Ted Olson, yep. Republican, top yep. Republican attorney, former solicitor general for uh, uh, for George W. Bush, is uh, representing CNN. Uh, do they have a do they have a case? And what do you think? Well, I think we I think the case is not going to be limited just to that particular incident. We're gonna there the president has provided written documentation through his tweets over the past two years just singling out CNN. And there's video from him at rallies singling out CNN. That is all relevant to this particular lawsuit from the from the uh, initial uh, complaints and, and things that we've seen. Um, it is, you know, the, the excuses that um, the White House has come out with are, have changed as well. So it first started out with the physical assault on the intern, and now it's the fact that he wouldn't give up his mic and those, those things alone. There, there's so much out there just about the, the how the White House is factually challenged, um, and putting all that in a complaint and in how um, uh, the litigation could uh, could go on is going to be really uh, challenging for the White House to defend. Um, I, you know, I, I, I assume that that's, it's not going to go to a trial, that they're going to resolve this in some kind of situ- um, fashion. Yeah. Interesting that uh, you should come to that conclusion. I mentioned earlier that uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, who is the do- person Donald yeah. Trump watches on Fox and Friends every morning, has said the same thing, yeah. that uh, that uh, the White House is crazy here and it will be resolved, never get to a trial because it will be dismissed. Please don't say that I agree with Andrew Napolitano. Uh, I won't. Okay. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks so much for coming in. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. At the center of AmericanProgress.org. That's it for today. This we'll see you tomorrow. Bill Press Show.